In today's Full Dig podcast, we're looking at the claim of Christ to be the way, the truth, and the life, and how that is troublesome for some and comforting for others. And while Pastor Kirk is away, Pastor Drew will be our guest podcast co-host. Welcome to the Full Dig podcast. I'm your guest host, Bruce Johnson, uh, here with my colleague and friend, Pastor Drew Holtz. Drew, how are you today? Great, Bruce. It's a uh, first time here, so a little nervous, but looking forward to things. It's going to be great to share together. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it as well. And we're looking at a very crucial part of the upper room discourse of Jesus and the Gospel of John. We're in John 14, and we're dealing specifically with those verses where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And Pastor Stephen packed that for us in his sermon on Sunday. What, what, what impressed you about uh, the way that he approached this text? And so this was uh, week two in his series, right, in our Lenten series. Exactly, um, yeah. Yeah, I think uh, Pastor Steve's done a great job of giving us a, a different look. We have a tendency sometimes with familiar passages to automatically interpret them in our own brain. And I think what he's done, especially with taking the view of Thomas, um, has really helped us in in a great way. Yeah, Thomas is an interesting uh, character. He, he, he really wants to know, and yet he's missing things. Yeah, well, aren't we all? Yeah, aren't exactly. All? Made me think about that. Well, uh, Drew, do you want to read to us the text? Uh, we're going to lead, read a little bit further than Steve did on Sunday morning. We're going to lead through uh, uh, chapter 14, verses 1 through 11 in this. Great. So John 14, 1 through 11, and this is the NRSV um, version that I'm reading. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God and believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to, to myself, so that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way to the place where I am going? Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even out of, even after I've been among you for such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. So there's this earnestness, both in Thomas and in Philip, they, they really want to get it, and they're not quite getting it. And Jesus is trying to lead them along. Yeah, and I think that's something that uh, a lot of people experience when they try to figure out, what does Jesus mean? I thought Jesus was all about loving people, and yet he's also very exclusionary here. Yeah, uh, it's also interesting. You can almost sense a little bit of frustration in Jesus' voice. Like, don't you get it? Yes. No, it, uh, you've spent many years in youth ministry. You've often been frustrated. <laughs> well, people not getting it. Yeah. Oh, haven't we all? Yeah, so. yeah. Uh, so what, what have you found? Uh, we're going to try to look at three different ways to, to make sense of this. We're going to look at maybe some analogies that uh, 
uh, uh, Drew, you have found that have been helpful, or analogies I've found that have been helpful in talking to, uh, to people about this whole concept. We'll go in very philosophical, look at kind of a, a, the, the, break it down philosophically, or uh, go to an expert on that sort of thing. And then we'll look to uh, some uh, quotes from our reform heritage and from uh, C.S. Lewis that talk about how you, you make the turn to say, well, if you're concerned about this, what you really need to do is follow Jesus. So those three different ways will try to be helpful today. So let's start with those analogies. What, what have you found that when you've tried to explain this uh, analogy that, that may be helpful? Well, one of the things I was thinking about is, and maybe because I was driving the time of realizing um, in our modern era, how many of us you know, depend upon our GPS, we put in the destination we want to go to, and then we just follow the directions. But it's interesting, if you look at those GPSs, they'll give you alternative routes if you want to get lost or you want to take longer. But if you just listen to the GPS, it will take you to the destination. And I was thinking that sense that Jesus says, I'm the way, listen to my voice, which of course, it it means that to get there, we need to abide in Christ. That needs to be our focus. Right. I've often found the analogy of um, a cure. You know, if mm-hmm. let's say that you're discover that you have some sort of cancer, you go to a specialist and they figure out exactly the type of cancer you have. And then lo and behold, the specialist says, well, there's a cure for this. Uh, I can prescribe this treatment. And you look at the specialist and say, that's very limiting. What if I want a different sort of treatment? (laughs) And and the expert will say, well, yeah, we could do all that, but that's not going to make you well. Don't you want to be free of this disease? But don't I, don't I have choices, Bruce? Well, don't you, I have choices? Yes, yes. You, you can choose to die if you want. You know. yes. <laughs> that is a choice. Yeah, I think uh, when Pastor Steve labeled those two things of choices and control, that he was really identifying our lives today in the world. Yeah, very much the uh, cultural milieu in which we live. Yes. Uh, uh, I, I want to do it my way. Yes. Even yeah. if we're not Frank Sinatra. Well, <laughs> we all can't have that voice. That's so. right. So uh, do you want to look at some of the other scriptural um, places that we see in the New Testament where Jesus makes his, uh, the exclusively uh, claim of being Christ? Yeah, we've got a, a four of them here. Why don't you read the first one there? Okay, the first one, this is out of Acts 4, verse 12, and it's when uh, Peter and he and John um, were brought before the Sanhedrin. Uh, it says, Salvation found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. So very clear, this is uh, Peter talking at that, that point. Uh, Jesus is the way uh, for salvation. And uh, in their defense before the Sanhedrin says, what are we going to do? We're going to stop telling people the, the way to, uh, for salvation, the way that they've been seeking. Yeah, and it's interesting, too, because, you know, you think, especially in the Old Testament, name was so important. Yes. Who a person was, or identity, and uh, the name spoken, and to the point to where they couldn't even speak the name of a God. And yet here they're saying to the Sanhedrin, who were the legalists, no, the name is Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the next verse we have is from the uh, Gospel of John, earlier in the Gospel of John, chapter 8. This is Jesus speaking to the Pharisees. Jesus says, I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am he, you will indeed die in your sins. Mm-hmm. Really making the choice before uh, people of his day, it, it, you've got to believe in me. Mm-hmm. It's not that 
not believing in the things that I say or the philosophy that you pull out of my words or the stories I tell, you have to believe in me. Yeah, and that kind of speaks to your cure analogy. Yeah. Yeah. There, there is one way, and, and this is the way to get better. Yeah. Next verse comes out of First uh, Timothy uh, 2, 5, and 6. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, a man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. So Jesus is that, that bridge builder that we need, or, or the bridge itself that we, that we need to, to get to the Father. Yeah, and I've always thought that word in Scripture of ransom uh, is a very unique and powerful word of, of the price that needs to be paid to set people free. Yeah, it makes you think of adventure stories. Mm, yeah. And, and we're caught up in that. Yeah. And we're the ones who are rescued by Christ. Yeah. Uh, another one comes from a very famous chapter in John, John chapter 3. From that we get these marvelous uh, verses, John chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, about uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him need not perish but have eternal life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. So that's very broad. You know, mm-hmm. the call goes out. It's, it's very inclusive. Later on in that same chapter, we have this, and, and it's not clear in the text whether it is um, Jesus saying this or John saying this or John the Baptist. You know, mm-hmm. you can kind of read it and mm-hmm. go to your red letter Bible and, and find out, are these verses in red too? Am I supposed <laughs> to read it that way? Uh, But this is from verse 36 of that same chapter, John 3. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. Mm. So that's kind of the flip side, that John 3.16 and 3.17 is the good news part of it, and here's the bad news part of it. You know, there's consequences if if you take another path. Uh, and our last um, passage here, uh, it's an amazing passage out of Philippians chapter 2, 8 through 11. And this has always been seen as maybe one of the, the earliest creedal statements of faith for the early church. Um, Paul writes, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And we bask in that truth every day of our lives. Yeah, so many so many great things within that. Yeah, it, it makes you want to pause. You know, we should do some singing here, but uh, I, I don't know about my voice, but... It, uh, or I know about my voice. I don't know about your voice, uh, Drew, but if I started saying people might, might turn off the podcast. So. We'll see. But yeah, and again, um, just the powerful truth there of Jesus humbling himself and taking on the form of a man. And theologians have wrestled. Uh, does that form last for eternity, him, him humbling himself there? But as we understand, it goes back to the ransom, the cost that had to be paid for us to the ultimate goal that God would redeem us to himself. Just incredible gift. Incredible gift, yeah. So we've talked about the biblical uh, passages that talk about Jesus being the way, kind of exclusionary, along with the, uh, the, the call that goes out, God loves everyone. We've talked about um, the passage itself. We've talked about uh, analogies that may be helpful for this. Now we're going to go in a deep dive. So this is from a book called exclusion and embrace. Hey, wait a minute. Let me, let me buckle in first. On this <laughs> yeah, you better buckle in. You know, I, I read this 
short quote to my wife this morning, and mm. she was not impressed. She says, that is not going to help anybody. So we'll, we'll see if we can make it a little helpful. All right, so, all right. So this is from a book, uh, Christianity Today uh, included this as the among the 100 most influential theological books of the 20th century. So this comes from the 90s, 1996. Okay. This is uh, Miroslav Volf, who was originally from Croatia. He taught at Fuller for about 10 years, and, and now he teaches at uh, Yale um, Theological Seminary. And it's about can we hold together Jesus being very broad, inclusive, you know, the call goes out, all, all who will answer my voice come, and yet very exclusionary, this is the way. Mm. And so uh, Wolf is trying to respond to critics that say, well, God is all about love, so he's not going to be excluding anything. And, and the real heart of Jesus is inclusion. And Wolf says, no, the heart of the gospel is grace, mm. the amazing grace. So he's trying to make this, again, very philosophical language, even a word that's hard for me to pronounce. I didn't even know that this was a word in English, and that's commensality, like commensary, but commensality. So it doesn't involve salad at all? It has nothing to do with salad, no. Okay, just checking. Okay, so here's the quote. It would be a mistake to conclude from Jesus' compassion towards those who transgress social boundaries that his mission was merely to demask the mechanisms that created sinners by falsely ascribing sinfulness to those who were considered socially unacceptable. He was no prophet of inclusion, for whom the chief virtue was acceptance and the cardinal vice intolerance. Instead, he is a bringer of grace, who not only scandalously included anyone into the fellowship of open commensality, but made the intolerant demand of repentance and the condescending offer of forgiveness. The mission of Jesus consisted in not simply of renaming the behaviors that was falsely labeled sinfulness, but also in remaking the people who have actually sinned and suffered distortion. The double strategy of renaming and remaking, rooted in the commitment to both the outcast and the sinner, to the victim and the perpetrator is the proper background against which an adequate notion of sin as exclusion can emerge. Okay, so wait, I just tightened my seatbelt a little tighter. So uh, let's start with that word commensality. Yes. Uh, word it, of the day. The word of the day, commensality, uh, is like commensurate, it means uh, connected with. Um, hmm. uh, so any anyone can be... Um, connected with Christ, um, but not everybody wants everybody connected with Christ. You know, mm -hmm. we live in a, a day when cancel culture is very um, much something that we run into. You know, people have committed some unpardonable sin in terms of whatever the, the social virtue is of the moment and said, well, we, we, there's no way to get back from that. They're, they're written off forever. But Jesus says, no. He's very open with those who will draw in to the Christian fellowship. Uh, people who have messed up in little ways, people have messed up in huge ways. Mm. The, the invitation is open to all. So that's scandalous to some. You know, Bruce, it's interesting. Um, Pastor Steve talked about, as he's talking about adolescence today, and, and really society, just the overriding anxiety 
that is faced. The other value per se that is seen as one of tolerance. Right. And but the tolerance is you must be tolerant of everyone, which means you must be tolerant of me, which means what I'm afraid of is judgment. Yes. Don't judge me. And so as a result, we say, well, how could this happen? But grace is that thing that moves beyond judgment Yes, as we see God's grace and his love for us. And so within this, hopefully we can see ourselves in the fact, yes, we are sinful, but God loves us. It isn't judgment. It's grace that comes. Yes. The, the judgment is, yep, you've messed up. But then the sentence is pardon. Yeah. Uh, and uh, that's such a marvelous hope. Um, well, I, we, we've made it through the philosophy, and I hope uh, your wife, Lori, um, feels better about things after she hears this. Do you, you feel know? better about that quote after we've wrestled with it I a bit? I feel a little better, a little yeah, better. It, it's still a mouthful. It is, it is. So I, I think Commensality. Yes, I think the main thing to, to remember here is that if you have a philosophical problem with Jesus being so exclusive in his claim, I am the way, the truth, and the life, there, we, there is a way to bring that together philosophically with that inclusivity of the gospel, mm. the call going out to all people. Yeah. Uh, Bruce, how do we move on to some of the archaeology, uh, which is kind of your specialty? I know I'm really excited this fall. I'm going to get to go to the Holy Land for the first time. And, and uh, so having that understanding of where things take place and um, uh, this discourse, we call it the Upper Room Discourse. Right. And so, um, and that happened as they were preparing for the, the Passover feast in the Upper Room. So let me read out of Luke 22, 7 through 13, which kind of sets the stage, and then maybe you can uh, open that up for us. Sure. So Luke 22, 7 through 13, then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparation for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare it for? They asked. He replied, as you enter the city, a man carrying a jug of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover of my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished. Make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them, so they prepared the Passover. So where where is this upper room, and, and who's this man carrying a jug of water? Yeah, so the first thing to notice is that it's uh, unusual for a man to carry water. Usually it's women that mm. would do that task in the time of Jesus. So that's the first thing that's uh, unusual about this. But the whole story there, it sounds almost like a spy novel, doesn't it? <laughs> you meet the man with meet red carnations. Yes. yes. <clears throat> you ask him why he's carrying an umbrella. and says, well, <laughs> you never know if it's going to rain in the afternoon. Okay, that's the person who has the code. That's the Take guy. you to the rendezvous point. It, it's something like that. And it may have been some prearranged sign like that, but that was a man carrying water is unusual. Uh, last podcast, we talked about the fact that this happened in the Western Hill. So uh, Drew, if you think about a three-pronged fork, uh, the part that you hold would be pointing south, and then you have uh, the two prongs pointing north, or the three prongs pointing north. That's a basic description of the terrain of Jerusalem. You have three valleys. You have the, the valley that separates the Temple Mount and the oldest part of Jerusalem, City of David, from the um, Mount of Olives, and that's the Kidron Valley that eventually um, empties into the Dead Sea. You have the Middle Valley, which is called 
the valley, <laughs> or sometimes the Tarapian Valley. And then you have the valley to the west, that's the Hinnom Valley, or the Valley of the Sons of Hinnom. So uh, you look at that, you have a western hill that's between the Middle Valley and the western uh, uh, Hinnom Valley, the western hill. And we think that the Last Supper took place on the western hill, hmm. traditional uh, uh, site of the Last Supper. So there was an opportunity to do some archeological digs uh, on the Western Hill uh, in the 20th century. We learned a little bit more about that. Um, but if you think about how would they have gotten to the Western Hill, they would have followed a man that's carrying water. Well, where would he have picked up that water? There's one water source for Jerusalem, one natural water source, and that's the Gihon Spring. Gihon is a word in Hebrew that uh, its root word means gushing forth. And uh, there are three different uh, ancient water systems connected with the Gihon Spring, basically to divert water from outside the city walls because the Gihon Spring is on the eastern side of the oldest part of Jerusalem, the city of David, uh, emptying into the Kidron Valley. So they began to say, how can we tap that water system and make sure that if our town is ever besieged by attackers, we would uh, not be cut off from water. So in Jesus' day, uh, the water was diverted to something called the Pool of Siloam. Uh, Siloam, uh, that Pool of Siloam, we knew a little bit about when I lived in Jerusalem 45 years ago. Now we know more because they were doing some um, maintenance work, some uh, work for uh, kind of the infrastructure of that part of town in Jerusalem, and discovered these ancient steps. So now we have a much better uh, view of uh, what the Pool of Siloam uh, looked like in Jesus' day. So you said that was discovered in 2004? Uh, that was discovered in, uh, yeah, about 2004, 2006. And uh, so a lot of it's been uncovered now. So you'll think, see things in Jerusalem I have not seen. Well, and it's amazing that uh, still to this day that, that the ancient times is still being revealed to us. Yeah. which is pretty amazing to think about. Well, it is. Um, the city of David is mainly excavated. Like every square inch just about has been excavated. There's very little that hasn't been. But to have, to have this discovery made in the 21st century is uh, quite amazing. So, Bruce, um, I'll show my ignorance here. Is there still water? There's still water. Yeah, there's still water. You can go there and then see the water gushing out. Uh, you can walk through uh, one of the, or a couple of the ancient uh, systems there. You can walk through and see the, what's called Warren Shaft after a 19th century explorer of Jerusalem, uh, Charles Warren, who uh, tried to find out the, how did the ancient water systems get uh, carved out. So it was uh, kind of a shaft that goes straight down from uh, the bedrock above down into uh, a new passage to get to that spring. Mm. Uh, another water system was done during the time of Hezekiah that uh, diverted the water from the eastern slope to more central in the western part, the center part of the uh, city of David Hill between the, the Central Valley and the Kidron Valley. And uh, as that poured out into a uh, pool, uh, uh, area where they would catch that water, that's the uh, Pool of Siloam. So he, which is down at a southern part of the city, he has to walk up. So he would walk up through the Central Valley and then up to the Western Hill. So Jesus is the way, but to find a way to the, the way to the upper room, they had to follow this man as he draw, 
drew water from the Gihon Spring, from the Pool of Siloam, and went up to the Western Hill. And the Pool of Siloam is, that's the reference, right, uh, when Jesus um, heals the man who's been waiting by the Pool of Siloam? Exactly. The man that was born blind. Right. Uh, also a story in the... In John 9, I think it is. Right. In John 9. And uh, Jesus uh, says, wash the Pool of Siloam and you'll be healed. Mm. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing and being able to, you know, as you go through a map and concept, and then as you get to see it yeah, actually in person, uh, so looking forward to that opportunity this fall. Yeah, and in a map, you don't really get the size of things yeah. and how far apart things are. So I'm really looking forward to hearing your um, report back on uh, what you discovered there. Uh, you know, speaking of maps, it's interesting, Bruce. I was thinking again about the anxiety. I don't know if you've ever watched the show Amazing Race. No, I, I know that you're a big fan of Amazing, Amazing Race. Race. Er, every episode, you're giving us a play-by-play yeah. of what happened. Well, if you want anxiety, you should watch the person in the back seat trying to read a map of a place they've never been to before, and the person in the front seat trying to follow their directions. Uh, and it just kind of speaks again to that whole sense of anxiety and, God, which way should we go? Um, and so the clarity that's coming through the Scripture here um, is incredible as we think about that God has made it clear that Jesus Christ is the way. And that kind of leads us into uh, maybe some of our confessional standards that have been based off of that truth. Yeah, I think first of all about a statement that comes out of the Westminster Confession. And it's several paragraphs maybe. I'll start with the odd-numbered paragraphs, and you can go the even-numbered paragraphs as we go through that. This is from uh, section or chapter 10 of the Westminster Confession, and that's entitled, Of the Gospel and of the Love of God and Missions. God, in infinite and perfect loving, having provided in the covenant of grace through the mediation and sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ, a way of life and salvation sufficient for and adapted to the whole lost race of humanity, freely offers this salvation to all people in the gospel. Mm. In the gospel, God declares his love for the world and his desire that all people should be saved, reveals fully and clearly the only way of salvation, promises eternal life to all who truly repent and believe in Christ, invites and commands all to embrace the offered mercy, and by his spirit accompanying the word, pleads with people to accept his gracious invitation. It is the duty and privilege of everyone who hears the gospel immediately to accept its merciful provisions. And they who continue in impenitence and unbelief incur aggravated guilt and perish by their own fault. Since there is no other way of salvation than that is revealed in the gospel, and since in the divinely established and ordinary method of grace, faith comes by hearing the word of God, Christ has commissioned his church to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. All believers are, therefore, under obligation to sustain the ordinance of the Christian religion where they are already established, and to contribute by their prayers, gifts, and personal efforts to the extension of the kingdom of God throughout the whole earth. What I like about this, Drew, is that it, it takes it from just theory to say, well, what do we do about the whole thing? Uh, if we understand that uh, God has provided a way of salvation, and if we reject that, well, it, it's on our own heads. What do we do about that? And, and the answer here in the Westminster Confession is, well, go out. Go out and do something about it. Tell other people about Christ. Yeah, I love the, the, that it talks about our role that God has invited us to be a part of his kingdom work. 
And uh, again, Pastor Steve talked a lot about purpose and how do we find purpose. And here it's laid out, our, one of our greatest purposes is to tell others about Jesus and to expand the kingdom of God. Yeah, in ECO, our, our denomination, uh, we often talk about a livable theology. It's like, well, it's good, good to have your doctrine down. It's good to know who, who God really is and what God requires of us. But we've got to do something about that. It's not just theory. We've got to live it out in practice. Mm-hmm. So what do we see within our eco-essential tenets, Bruce, that kind of speaks to this? Well, we have that same movement from, okay, if, if this is what we believe, what we do about this. So um, uh, it says in our eco-essential tenets, uh, remember the difference between our confessional standards, which are kind of advisory for us. The essential tenets are the, that statement of faith that all pastors and elders and deacons say we will um, subscribe to that. We will live that out as we uh, serve in leadership of the church. And there we find these words. In union with Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we are brought into right relation with the Father, who receives us as his adopted children. And then it goes into a longer statement that says, well, what does that mean that we're adopted, um, uh, the adopted children of God through Christ? And it, it go, goes on and explains, Jesus Christ is the only way to this adoption the sole path by which sinners become children of God. For he is the only begotten Son, and it is only in union with him that a believer is able to know God as Father. Only in Jesus Christ is the truth about the triune God fully and perfectly revealed. For not only he is the truth, only he has seen the Father, and only he can make the Father known. Only Jesus Christ is the new life that is offered, for he is the bread from heaven and the fountain of living water, the one by whom all things were made, in whom all things hold together. The exclusivity of these claims establishes that God's love is not impersonal, but a particular and intimate love in which each individual child of God is called by name and known as precious, that God's love is not only acceptance, but a transforming and effective love in which his image within us is restored so that we are capable of holy living. Mm. Yeah, and again, the fact that God doesn't just call us to follow him, but he is one who makes it possible for us to live out that life. Yes, and a very interesting uh, twist in, in thinking and, and explaining what this means. It, that God, It's like when somebody says they love you, you want that to be very particular. You don't want it to be general. Uh, I love you. Well, I love everybody. Yeah. Yeah. So I love you too. That's not what you want. You want somebody says, I, I love you. I, I know who you are. I know your name. I, uh, and, and, and I choose to love you. It's that kind of love. God's love is like that. It's particular. Yeah, particular. You know, Pastor Steve talked about the fact that uh, he talked about the way of holiness and that when Jesus designed the way that we became Christians, became known as the people of the way. And as I was listening to that, Bruce, it reminded me of uh, although Pastor Steve mentioned a little bit about the Roman road and maybe just the negative aspect of it. But, you know, the Appian way was the way to get to Rome. There was no other way to go. And, and we can see in culture there are multiple king's way. I know in living in Hawaii that there is the king's way, and it doesn't take you to the king, but it takes you to the place where the king would worship, where the king would train. 
the way of following it. And so, and the way was marked out clearly. And so once you're on it, it's like you don't deviate from right to left. You just follow the way and you will find the truth as you're going. And so I love that this particular tenet is pointing us that Jesus is the way to God, that there's no other way. Don't uh, be distracted. Don't vary. Just abide. And he will give you the strength to live that out. And that's a great example of why we need each other. Mm. Following Jesus is not a individual sport. It's a team sport. You know, we, we follow together. We uh, need one another to encourage us at times. Uh, uh, fortunately, we're not usually all discouraged at the same moment. <laughs> That'd be pretty tough. But, uh, you know, sometimes we're able to pull people up. Uh, I've, I've been pulled up by uh, other Christians all my life when I've faced tough things. And uh, also, I've been able to uh, help people, encourage people when, when they've been down and discouraged. Uh, keep our eyes on Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Bruce, um, I think one thing we've kind of always looked forward to is the C.S. Lewis quote that you bring to the topic. So do we have one for uh, this podcast? Yes. Yes, we do. Now, Pastor, uh, Steve used, uh, yeah, Pastor Steve used a quote from the Chronicles of Narnia, but I'm going to use a quote from Mere Christianity, uh, which I thought it, it's a, a great passage in which Lewis deals with uh, that um, claim that, well, it, it's very... Uh, snobby or, or unfair that you talk about Jesus being the only way. So this is how he enters into that question. Is it not frightfully unfair that this new life should be confined to people who have heard of Christ and been able to believe in him? But the truth of God has not told us what his arrangements about other people are. We do know that no man can be saved through Christ we do not know that only those who know him can be saved by him. So there, Lewis does this philosophical uh, switch here. He says, okay, well, let, let's say what the Bible does say. I can put uh, my finger on verses in the New Testament. That says Jesus is the only way through, by which we are saved. And then Lewis says, well, you're right. There's some things that we don't know. For example, we don't know if only those who know him can be saved by him. And whether or not you agree with Lewis on that particular point, mm. it, it, it's, it's it, brave of him to say, here are things that we can know for certain, here are things that we don't know for certain. There's a lot that you know, we wonder about uh, in terms of what, uh, how God will work with different people. But then Lewis does another turn, he says, but in the meantime, if you are worried about the people outside, the most unreasonable thing you can do is to remain outside yourself. Christians are Christ's body, the organism through which he works. Every addition to that body enables him to do more. If you want to help those outside, you must add your little cell to the body of Christ who alone can help them. Cutting off a man's finger would be an odd way of getting him to do more. So Lewis uh, acknowledges things we know, things we don't, but really if you're concerned at all about this question, doesn't make sense for you to become a Christian yourself. Yeah, I love that he says, rather than wasting your time trying to figure out things that aren't known, right? here's something you know for sure. What does it mean to be part of the body of Christ? You know, Drew, sometimes pastors are, are accused of always talking about things that we don't know. Talking on and on and on and on about that. I have no idea who you're talking about, Bruce. I have no idea so. who I might be talking about either. Um, well, that last line, cutting off a man's fingers would be an odd way of getting him to do more. 
Um, here's a little cultural reference, Bruce. Oh, uh, you're not going to do it. Are you really going to share that story? Sure. Oh, sure. Well, I'm, I'm going to cover my ears now. It's the Academy Awards for this year. It's coming up, uh, what, like this Sunday on the 12th. Um, so there's a, one of the Academy Award nom- nominated movies is The Banshees of Inna Sharon. And a man, I won't go into graphic detail for you, Bruce, but he tries to get someone to do something. And the way he does it is by cutting off, threatening to cut off his fingers. And it it doesn't have any result. Right. It doesn't have any result. I won't, I won't get any more graphic than that. But um, I, when I was I'm already this, squeamish about the whole thing. Well, Lewis brought it up, and he's your favorite guy, <laughs> so it must be his fault. All you know, right. All right. Yeah. We'll blame it on uh, old C.S. Lewis. Blame it on Lewis. Well, so. maybe you can re- redeem that, that, that horrible story a little bit by uh, giving us a quote from our Reform heritage. Did, have you found something? Well, this will go kind of the opposite extreme, because Johann Art, uh, who is maybe considered to be one of the, the founding fathers of the pioneers, movement ah. came out of um, he was a Lutheran German theologian it came out of the school of Luther um, but uh, very known for wanting to bring the the head knowledge of theology into the heart knowledge of following God ah. of following Christ and so uh, in his book true Christianity he says he who will deny himself must not follow himself and his own will but Christ I am the way and the truth of the life, says the Lord in John 14, 6. Without a way, man cannot travel. Without truth, he cannot know. Without life, he cannot live. I am the way on which you must go. I am the truth that you must believe and the life that you must hope in and live. I am the way that does not pass away, the truth that does not deceive, the life that does not end. I am the right way of eternal life in my merit, the highest truth in my word, and the eternal life in the power of my death. If you wish to remain on this way, truth must lead you to eternal life. If you do not wish to err, follow me. If you wish to know the truth, trust me. If you wish to possess eternal life, be consoled in my death. Boy, I love that. It's not just a philosophical question being posed. Jesus is asking us, Follow me. Will you do this? I'm the way. Will you follow that way? Follow me. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, This whole sermon series has been uh, just a great opportunity to look at new of, of maybe what are some of the choices we've been making and realizing that God calls us to follow him, to follow the way. And so uh, good to be reminded and to be encouraged. Well, Pastor Drew, would you encourage us all by closing us in prayer for today? Happy to. Let's pray. Lord God, um, this whole thought that we are in control of our destiny uh, can oftentimes lead us uh, down roads that we never should be. Thank you, Father, that you make it clear that the way to salvation is in following your Son is in being obedient to you and abiding in Christ. So, Lord, help us um, each day to say yes to you. Help us to keep our hearts and minds fixed on the cross of Christ. We pray in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Drew. Well, what a joy, Bruce. I mean, like I said, it's a little nervous coming in, uh, but kind of fun. Kind of fun. That's right. We're all about fun here. There we go. That's what it is.